Aloha friends, it's Robert Stelic. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Planet Show. On this show, I interview wingfoil athletes, designers, and thought leaders, and ask them in-depth questions about wingfoil equipment and technique. I'm also trying to get to know my guests a little bit better, their background, how they got into water sports, what inspires them, and how they live their best life. As a visual learner, I'm adding visual content that you can watch right here on YouTube, but you can also listen to these long-form interviews on the go as a podcast. Just search for The Blue Planet Show on your favorite podcast app. Today's interview is with none other than Army Armstrong, the founder of Armstrong Foils. It's amazing how he built a business in just a few years from a few prototypes to one of the biggest manufacturers in the world of foiling and now wing foiling equipment. We just got some of their new boards at our shop here in Honolulu, really nice innovative features. And he talks about that in his interview, also about growing up on a sailboat, learning how to walk basically on a sailboat, sailing around the world with his parents. So that's a really cool backstory, I thought. I also wanna say a special thank you to our sponsors. This show is brought to you by people just like you that support Blue Planet here in Honolulu. So next time you're shopping for new gear, please check out blueplanetsurf.com. And I think you'll find that we have great quality, service, and pricing. So you can't go wrong getting gear from Blue Planet. And of course, also you're supporting content like this and making it possible. So thanks for everyone who supports our business. All right, Army Armstrong, welcome to the Blue Planet Show. Thanks so much for, for coming on. How are you doing today? Oh, awesome, man. Yeah, we're just about to go and test some prototype foils. So as soon as this is finished, we're out on the water. So yeah, life is good. We we were locked down in NZ for a while recently, and it's all for a year and a half behind the rest of the world with the COVID thing. So we're going through it now. I don't know. It's crazy. But yeah, we're, we're allowed back on the water. And yeah, a couple of months of that was pretty bad, locked off the water. So you were yeah, able- now we're back into it. You weren't allowed to go even on the water at all, even during lockdown. You had to stay in your house, basically. Basically, yeah, it was pretty hardcore. And then even now, we're, I guess we're almost two and a half months into it. Like a lot of businesses can't open. So it's pretty hard for a lot of people. I'm yeah. just super lucky that, that, that you guys in the States seem to be charging ahead and carrying on. And, and Europe as well seem to be back to normal. So fingers crossed, we, we head that way too. Yeah, really back to normal, but people are just tired of arranging their lives around COVID. And basically, yeah. you just like at some point, you just have to learn to live with it, I guess. That's the thing. But yeah, like last time we met was, I guess, like about three years ago, I think, in Raglan, maybe two years ago before the before this whole thing happened. Yeah, and that's right. When that Was that your last international trip? Probably was. No, actually, I went to New Zealand again, like a year later, which was in February, I think February on... Um, 2019 as the pandemic was already um, was going, going out. in oh, China cool. right yeah. before they stopped the travel international travel so that was a good trip but so now you're in Auckland yeah Zealand it's it's summer's just starting you got nice weather over there yeah it's just starting and yeah we're lucky we're out of lockdown and we're back in the water and yeah we're just getting through pretty exciting list of prototypes and moving ahead one step at a time. Let's start in the beginning. Last time we talked, you, you mentioned, you just said that you grew up on a sailboat, sailing around the world with your parents. So I, I wanted to find out more about that. Can you tell us more about how you grew up and how you got into water sports and the love 
the, you know, your yeah. love for the ocean and all that kind of stuff. Well, I was just really lucky that born into a um, sailing family. I think I was really lucky. Definitely had a lot of great adventures with my parents. I was conceived in Brazil. So my father was an architect in Brazil. And then they'd been planning a sailing adventure with some friends of theirs, who was also a, a Kiwi architect along with my father. And they went back all, all back to the UK, met up there, bought a boat. Did it up and they had two young families, so six kids total, three each side, and then the four adults, and they jumped on a 44-foot catch and sailed off around the world into the blue yonder. And so that was I was six months old when we left the UK and we sailed around for a couple of years, floating around the Pacific. So I learned to walk on the boat and then ended up in New Zealand after a pretty good sailing adventure. And then we were always sailing every every chance my parents got to get out and about once we're in New Zealand. Yeah, just all of my childhood memories are sailing, basically. So the trip, that two-year trip, you actually, do you remember much of that? I mean, if you're six months old, you probably (laughs) don't remember most of it, right? I don't remember a lot, but I actually made a, I was, when I was at school, I did a, a, like a mini student doco type thing on it. And there was lots of Super 8 footage and lots of slide slides and stuff i put together you know a bit of a, a story and, and interviewed everyone actually on video so we've got that which is pretty cool so yeah i remember it more through photos and stories but it's interesting like just learning to to walk on the boat and that just being in the ocean for a lot of time i know you can't i have to get in the water weekly at least or else i just start going crazy yeah that's <laughs> that just is what it is so that's interesting. Do you think that learning to walk on a boat helped you with having better balance or being used to being on, on unstable? Yeah, definitely yeah. for sailing. I mean, and maybe for other sports too, because that just feeling the way the water's moving and being used to it. And I think that's the way with a lot of the traditional navigators, they just grew up in that way of being on the water and fishing and stuff. And yeah, it is definitely something that I guess... that they say that your brain gets pretty wired in the first five to seven years so i think all of those real early experiences and it's the same thing with top surfers they get into that when they're really young they have a quite an advantage i I think yeah for sure that's interesting so do you you get seasick at all or you're not at all all. never really got seasick yeah that probably has something to do with it too that you're just used to (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love the rougher it gets, the more fun it is. I love being out in the in the ocean. That's yeah. Cool. So, what are your earliest um, memories of like being in the ocean or in the surf or like doing like kind of water sports like surfing? Yeah, for me, it's really sailing. We did a little bit of you know of playing around in the surf, more body surfing. Really, when I was young, we didn't really have surfboards. We used to just play in the surf, but we were. More, more at sailing. We were off on sailing adventures. That's that was really up until I went on my own adventures in my teens. I was just with my family going sailing around New Zealand, and then later on in life, we did a lot of missions back out into the Pacific with you know Dad and his friends sailing to all sorts of interesting places. Mm-hmm. And then personally, for me, when I got right into whitewater kayaking, actually when I was in my teens. I was really influenced by a teacher at one of my schools who was a real whitewater kayaking fanatic. And yeah, we trained really hard. We did whitewater slalom. Our team won all the New Zealand titles for the whitewater slalom competitions. And I got 
seriously into that, trialed for the New Zealand team. There are a couple of really good guys, so I never got into that team, but, you know, really dug it. And then we hucked ourselves off waterfalls in, in our, you know, late teens and early 20s. And a couple of my good friends have gone on to become world-class kayakers. And then I got into, I got bitten by the windsurfing bug at university. So really transitioned kayaking into windsurfing. And I was lucky enough to go windsurfing in Raglan because I was at uni at Waikato doing a science degree and Raglan's a short drive. And so, yeah, we used to skive off lectures when it was windy and go windsurfing in Raglan. It was great. Nice. And I had a good friend there, James Court, who's one of NZ's best windsurfers and he was at uni with me doing a science degree as well. And so we used to, yeah, spend a lot of time out in Raglan windsurfing. Nice. That was really where I got into the, the wave side of things more than through surfing, really. And this was like in the 1990s or around what yep. time? Yeah, 1990s, yeah. So I guess late late 80s, I really got into windsurfing. And then at uni, 1990 to, to 95, we were probably windsurfing as much as we were at uni. Squeak yeah. through my degree, too much time on the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds very similar to my my background too. I got into windsurfing, and that's how I ended up being coming to Hawaii and going right. to university here and stuff. But and then what happened next? Like, how did you transition from windsurfing to the other water sports that you do now? Yeah, so windsurfing, and then got right into SUP right at the early days on a sail. We were on a sailing trip actually to Tahiti. We did a whole big Pacific mission in about 2005 or 2006 um, with my parents, with my dad at the time, and we were meeting up with some friends of his who had been doing a big, you know, um, multi-year circumnavigation of the globe, and we caught up with those guys in Tahiti, and we were. While we were in Tahiti, a big south swell came or a southwest swell. And we went, okay, let's go down and have a look at Chopu. And Laird paddled out. And I'd you know, obviously known of Laird, but he was paddling out on this giant, must have been 11 plus foot SUP gun before anyone else was even really doing it and caught a couple of waves at Chopu. And we were sitting in the channel watching, um, too scared to try and go surf it for sure. And yeah, I was just like, that is epic. That's just, he just paddled out from the beach. Like everyone else came out on boats and, you know, a couple of guys paddled out from the beach there, a couple of the local Tahitians, but most guys were on boats. And mm. I just was super cool. He took his last wave in over the reef and paddled in. And I'm just like, oh, that's, we've got to get into that. So I came back, there's no gear around. And we just grabbed some old windsurfers and, and made some, Got because I was into kayaking. So it just fit with my kayaking history. So we just made a couple of paddles, started paddling around on them and we didn't really even know what we were doing and we you know caught a few waves here and there and was just we're just having great fun paddling around on these things and from there SUP actually really took off as a sport and then I you know got right into it and there were some events in Hawaii the Battle of the Paddle uh, Waikiki actually was was on and I was like okay we better go and you know have a go at this and yeah had a blast doing that that was yeah good time I was there for, I was there for that one I think they only had that one time, the Waikiki Battle of the Paddle, right? It only happened once, I think. Maybe I think twice. Maybe a couple of times. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. twice. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a pretty was cool a event. Had a lot event. of the a lot of local pros. I remember battling Kai around that one, but he was only about 13. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the last yeah. chance I got to battle with him. After that, right. he was he just killed everyone. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I still remember a race um, where I beat Connor Baxter, but that was, I think he was like 12 or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so then something really, you know, got me to Hawaii and then spent, I made a mission from about 2011. I think that was the Battle of the Paddle in 2011, Waikiki. I could be wrong, but <laughs> check those dates. And then, yeah, every year since then, just spent New Zealand. New Zealand's a fantastic place. Winters are pretty long, though. So, yeah, had a mission to try and get out of NZ for the winters for a couple of months in Hawaii, if I could, or Samoa or Fiji. Also is fantastic from New Zealand, much, much easier to get to. But I guess Hawaii is the epicenter of the surf world. And there's a good reason for that. The conditions are amazing. The people are amazing. And you just learn much faster with any of those, with any activity, really. If you're around the best in the world, you just learn faster. So it was just a learning experience for me and got right into it. And then through all that, time I got right into kite surfing as well so the windsurfing transitioned into the kite surfing and yeah so kiting and supping I was just doing that as much as I could mm-hmm. funding it in any way possible I was still working a bit in the film industry doing underwater um, photography in New Zealand and then doing odd jobs um, for cash when I was you know out and about so that was your ba- main income was uh, photography and, and doing that, those kind of things? Yeah. So through that, I'd done a, a bunch of paperwork with some various organizations, film schools and stuff, and ended up working in the New Zealand film industry, doing underwater camera work. And that was great fun because it suited me. We were in the water again and filming, but it's the New Zealand film industry is really up and down. And especially something as specific as water shooting, it's not really consistent work. So it was good. I managed to get lots of time to go off and do my, do my, you know, passion really, which was yeah. get in the water paddling or kiting. Cool. Yeah. I remember you came by the, our shop on Ward Avenue, I don't know, maybe six years ago or five or six years ago. And you had your first or one of your first foil prototypes of the Armstrong foil and you were showing it to me and stuff like that. But I think that was like before you even started production on them or any, anything. You came yeah, that was, out, that was actually the first batch out of the first production mold. Just, it was like a production sample and okay. we were just getting ready. So yeah, we basically, you were one of the first people actually we went to see and say, hey, we got some yeah. foils. You guys are going to need these. Right, right. Yeah. I was pretty impressed by the like the, the whole design and stuff, like how the fuselage goes through the mass and stuff. It's pretty unique at that time. I don't think anybody had anything similar. And then, but so you got into foiling through kiting, is that right? Or Yeah, how- so we got into foiling through kiting. Basically, kite foil racing and kite foiling has been around a little bit longer than some of the others kiting the kiters took it up a little bit earlier i think really foiling's been around for ages with initially with mike murphy and then rush randall and laird and dave kalama and and pete gabrina and robbie nation all that crew really took it on Mm -hmm. in hawaii towing to try and deal with the wind bump and all of that sort of cool history And the kiters took it on a little bit later, but earlier than most of the other recent uptake anyway. And so we were doing a lot of kiting and kite foiling was just a normal thing to do. And we just jumped on that and we were breaking everything we did. And funnily enough, Laird again turned up in Raglan for the Ultimate Waterman event. And I was actually doing some camera work 
on that for a promo that they did with Laird towing in out on the points in Raglan. I was living in Raglan at the time. And Daniel Kirioka, who then went on to win the first Ultimate Waterman, he was driving the jet ski. I was on the back filming with Laird. And I think Terry Chung came down. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure. And he was towing with Laird at some, yeah, at Raglan. And they were getting really long waves, like a couple of minutes long, maybe. And we were like, okay, we were kite foiling at the time. And we were like, actually, this is, these guys, I know these guys have been doing it for a long time, but that was the first time we'd seen proper foiling in proper waves live. And it just it blew all of us away. We were just like, wow, that's, that looks like too much fun. We're going to have to do that. And so we got out on our kite foils and pretty much broke all of them <laughs> doing that. So we were like, okay, it's, that gear is not, it's, it's not going to work. So we're going to have to start making our own gear. And that was it. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screen share this video that I remember watching. Yeah, so there was some, a bunch of helicopter footage. That's right. So this was a promo for the Ultimate Waterman. And this, the water shots, so that one, and then there's a couple of other water shots later on. I shot them on the back of the ski with Daniel. So that's obviously the heli shot. And then there's one where lead comes past. Um, that, that's actually a heli shot too. Mm. But then, yeah, and, oh, you can see on the jet ski. Yeah, that's me and Daniel. And that's one of our shots there. Oh, cool. That's pretty epic. Yeah. Eh? yeah. So that was obviously a good day in rags. There was no one out surfing. It was a bit too lumpy, this outsides. So yeah, Led was the first person to really get involved in outsides properly foiling rags. And for him, obviously, this isn't necessarily massive surf, but it's still a pretty solid day. And he's charging this turn. I remember he was like so close to putting the foil out there. <laughs> I know. In front of the lip too, yeah. That's yeah, but, you know, Led's, Led's a unique individual, as we all know. So, yeah, yeah trust him to, to really open up our thoughts processes. So, yeah, we were jumping in the water filming this stuff, and this was the promo for the Ultimate Waterman. Yeah. And his mass is, is that the stainless steel mass that he has? Or this one's, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's an alloy rig, very basically, probably a Mike Murphy T bar, and with G10 wings that I don't know, Led would have built with someone in Hawaii. I, I don't know the, the full story of that foil rig except that yeah we were just like ah that's too much fun we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get into it and then we did we got into it after that and broke everything we had and so then we were like okay we just have to start making stuff <laughs> so you actually started with uh towing towing foiling yeah well kiting and then we saw that and then we started towing because it just was like mind-blowingly fun looking we didn't realize at the time how hard it was <laughs> so we just got thrashed and broke all our kite gear. And out of necessity, first of all, we started rebuilding the kite gear because we broke it all. And then we were like, hang on a minute, the stuff where we re rebuilt some wings, we rebuilt some fuselages and some masts. And we said, actually, we've made it stiffer. We've made it stronger. It, it feels better to ride. Let's let's actually make a whole, a whole foil set. And then we're really lucky in New Zealand. We've got a lot of really smart boat designers and boat builders. And I had some connections in that area too. And so we just started making our own rigs and pretty much I hand built our first foil wings just with some templates that we made up a little bit like making a big fin, really. We just hand making a fin. We made some templates, we made some foil sections, we mapped it out on some paper and we translated that on some blocks of wood. We stuck all that together and then we laminated it and tried it and went, okay, that worked. And we 
you know, we wanted to make it a bit different. So we tried a different foil section, took the grinder to it a few times until we had something we thought actually worked pretty well. And then we scanned that and then did some CAD on it. And that became our first foil. Wow. Okay. So that was the process. And, and in terms of the system development, I was really interested through spending a lot of time on the boat on fittings that didn't, didn't corrode. And titanium is a real top-end material for not having galvanic corrosion, especially with carbon. And it's light and strong, and it's just a really nice material in, in the ocean because once the part is made, it doesn't really change. Mm-hmm. So I was really interested in using that technology and that led us down various rabbit holes to, and we ended up. Yeah. And basically you're like, you, from the very beginning, you had that de- design with the titanium shrouded with carbon fiber and in a mold or, and then, so basically the basic design of your fuselage and, and the mass fitting and stuff hasn't really changed. It's still the same as the original foil. You, you yeah, showed me pretty much. Then. And that was. Well, we spent a lot of time, we got some pretty good design advice at the time on some of the dimensions. The reason for the hex inside the round, we wanted round because I really think round on the fuselage is pretty important for not changing the flow when the fuselage goes through different angles. So the flow doesn't change to the around the fuselage to the back wing. If you've mm-hmm. got a more square or rectangular fuselage, when you put it on an angle, it changes the flow hmm. around that. So I was really interested in that. And if you look at, you know, fish and bottom brackets on boats and keel bulbs and everything, nothing square. No one's making anything square. Fish, no, There's no square fish, really. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, let's go round. And then to fit inside around a hex is a really good shape because you can put the two together and you get a similar thickness around the outside of it, which means when you do your layups, you can wrap the fiber right around that which is what we do in our molds so the fibers come all the way down from the top of the mast wrap around the bottom bracket and then go back up which is a pretty tricky layout to do but that's the key point to giving it that feeling and then locking locking in the feeling into the mast Mm -hmm. which is yeah what we've spent quite a lot of time developing that layup and we're happy with it and hey there's you can it's always a balance. You can make something stiffer, but then you're going to lose lose some feel. So there's that balance. And it depends a little bit on the conditions. If you're really going out in big waves, then, yep, there is something in a stiffer um, setup. And I think, like you say, lead may well be using stainless or solid alloy mast or something for the really big waves. But we're not really trying to make gear at this point for people to tow in at Nazare. And it's epic that those guys have done it. They're... They are next level for sure. But what we're trying to do is gives make something that has a real nice surf feeling when you're doing a turn on a head high wave. That's really the goal. And then obviously wingings come along and winging, it, it is to me, it's like going back to windsurfing. It's awesome. It's a beautiful blend of windsurfing and kiting to me. Winging puts the two together in this way and it brings foiling really to anyone. That's the beauty of winging because you're, you've got the balance with the wing, which is a lot like the windsurf rig, but you don't have the mast, so it's lighter and easier to handle. You don't have that uphaul issue. You haven't got the strings like the kite, and it allows you to have that balance point on the foil. So really, with winging and decent wind, anyone can foil, and that's where I think the future is, and I, hey, I'm not alone in that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And this is a wing foiling show, but and like... 
for me, when wing foiling started, I was doing more stand-up foiling or, or prone foiling and stand-up racing and stuff like that. But ever since I started wing foiling, that's almost all I do now. So how, how is it for you? Like how much time do you spend on a wing foil board versus other sports? Yeah, we still kite foil a little bit because kiting is a really good way to test gear because you're independent. You can go pretty fast and you can like quickly change gear and go back out and, and feel it. Winging's pretty good for testing gear as well. And then we tow, I do quite a lot of towing into downwind because I think riding bumps downwind on bigger foils, especially when you're testing the bigger foils, is a great way to, to see how they turn. I'm really interested in foils, trying to make foils that turn really, that combination of pump efficiency and turning. So pull it towing into bumps downwind. And yeah, we used to paddle and we still do paddle in a little bit on the really windy days with the SUP. We don't have conditions in New Zealand really where you can chip in and ride the coast downwind like in like in Hawaii, which is awesome to see that some of the top surfers doing that as a cross-training thing. I really influenced by Kai, I'd say. But yeah, the SUP downwind foiling, we do a little bit of that. But for testing gear, really towing, you can't beat the amount of time you get on the foil. And so for me, the problem is with, with making gear and my partner, Robbie, who really drummed this into me at this after our first mission, we were kind of all over the place making all sorts of different things. You've got to just change one thing at a time, which whether that be a tail angle, a tail section, whatever it is, you have to keep everything else the same. The board, the mast position, the front wing, the fuselage length, every other element you need to keep the same so that otherwise you don't really know what your progression is or what's happening. And so we keep a note of each rig we've tried and then change one thing at a time and then you actually have an idea of, of what you've done and what is affecting things and then you can make progress and it's it does two things a it means you can't just jump to some whole next level immediately it's a progression and the other thing is it takes quite a lot of time on the water to do that even coming in like most of my winging sessions i'll even choose the location based on how easy it is to come in to change something out and go back out again. And sometimes right. I'll go for sessions just for fun, but oftentimes if there's a boat ramp nearby or an easy place to come in and out, I'll choose that spot because then I can come run with the tail at a certain angle, change it half a degree, go back out for half an hour, come back in, change it half a degree, go back out and get that balance and feeling and yeah, hopefully make some progress. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I totally agree with that one changing one thing at a time. That's the way to do it. But I guess for the last two months, though, it was hard for you to test anything if you could. We had, I think it was seven weeks of, of not being allowed on the water. And yeah, really frustrating. But luckily, Rob was out of the country. He was he went to Hood River and stuff. So he was doing basically our foil testing at that time. And we've got some great team riders now too. So there's a lot of feedback now coming from team riders. That's It's almost too much sometimes. It's great, really, though. There's a lot of intel coming in but the hardest thing with team riders is asking them to change just one thing at a time because they never do some are better than others but everyone's got great opinions and that's really starting to feed into what we're developing and, and how we're developing it the new four geometry boards that was really a, a passion project for me but we got a lot of input from our team riders that really helped with that whole development process yeah it's been really fun i actually wanted to ask you you went from 
being like a traveling videographer or like on a shoestring budget to having like an international brand that's like worldwide and a lot of growth, obviously. And as a business owner, I know to grow like that takes a lot of money and capital and good people and stuff like that. So can you talk a little bit about that process? Like, how did you do it? How did you pull that off? And how were you able to finance it? And how did you do that? Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty long, interesting story. I guess really when it started happening, I got really lucky with Rob Whittle coming on. He's a super smart guy and um, was getting into foiling at the same time with me and really saw a future in what we were doing. And he was my initial kind of partner. And then we brought in Andrew McGregor and Bryce Rhodes, who are super keen um, surfers and sub athletes and also successful business people. So they really brought some key business knowledge to it. And through those early days, I ended up doing some work for some surfboard factories in Asia. At the end of the sub game, I ended up going to Asia and, and helping doing some quality control. And also from my boat, because I did a bit of boat building on the side as well. Obviously, I'd always been involved with, like my grandfather built boats, been involved with When you're dealing with boats, there's always something to do. And so there's always maintenance with boats, some kind of sanding or laminating or painting or whatever it may be. And so through that background and, and building a bunch of SUP boards and stuff like that, I ended up going and working in a factory. And I, I, at the time, I tried to set up actually a SUP brand, but I went to the last Pacific Paddle Games with a range of boards, actually. But they were, I was probably behind the curve on that one. But what I did do through that process was ended up working in, in some surfboard factories, helping them improve their carbon layout techniques. So, yeah, spent a bunch of time um, in Asia in surfboard factories over a period of three years. And so when I put my friends together who were backing the foil project with my contacts at the surfboard factories, that's really where it, where it grew from. So I was just lucky, right place, right time. And, and we got into it at the right time. I think that video you played with Led was instrumental timing. It, it put us, we got right into it a little bit early and I changed my focus from SUP completely to foiling. And that's just all, all we were trying to make. And yeah, to be honest, our first few foil boards were pretty wild and it was a, just an experimental time and we, they worked, but yeah, for sure they, they needed to be improved, but that was a process that everyone was in at the time. And I was just lucky that we, we got to make some and we got to make some foils and we got them out on the market at a, at a time when it was just taking off. And so from there, we grew it and I'm just really lucky with a lot of people that we met along the way. Yeah, nice. And then and then Rob Whittle basically helped you with, I interviewed him as well for that Ozone interview, but is able to help you finance it? Or how, I know when you grow fast, it's always the money goes out faster than it comes in, right? <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny how much it costs to just keep the ball rolling. It's definitely a learning experience for me. But yeah, so Rob obviously invested at the early days, Andrew and Bryce, who I've mentioned, they invested and yeah, we got the thing rolling, started getting, you know, the product out there and started getting a bit of traction because there weren't a lot of good options that were easy. We've really, it's lucky not being a super pro. I'm okay, but I'm no, I'm very far from a pro. So I want to make stuff that's easy to ride. That's really been one of my focuses. And so that was, that fitted the market at the time because everyone was learning and that, right. that was a good boost. And so, 
Then scaling it up, that's the biggest issue, like you say, that does cost a lot of money. So scaling up to distribution. And we made some stuff in New Zealand and it was really hard to just shipping out of New Zealand is a real killer. The logistics from here are really is really tricky. And I had these contacts in these surfboard factories up there. And while I was up there, I actually met a really interesting guy on a beach in China, Austin Kirk, who is an American guy that spent a lot of time doing business in Asia. And he had some friends who were really top business guys in the cell phone parts industry. And we were at the time trying to scale up to meet the, the global demand that was taking off. And it's really tricky to understand those economics, these econ those economies of scale, global distribution. It's a complicated game if you haven't got that system or process in place. And yeah, we basically spent a lot of time working with those guys to improve our manufacturing. And that really is where we got ourselves to the next level. And we ended up effectively partnering with those guys on the supply chain side. So the manufacturing, we had much better control of the materials we were using, the, the delivery schedules and the quality control. And so that was, that's been instrumental. It was, I guess there's no one thing. It's a whole lot of things all coming together. And I just feel really lucky that it came together at the time that it did. And we're, we're able to stay afloat. Yeah. No, it's really impressive how quickly you grew the business and to become one of the leading brands. Yeah, I don't know. I may hope maybe we're a leading brand. I hope we are. We definitely try hard to do what we say we're doing and we're, we're making the gear as best we can. We do spend a, a lot of money on materials. It's slightly crazy. I had an Aussie businessman recently who, we're, who has some distribution in Aussie. He was like, you guys are crazy. You need to spend less money on your gear and you'd have a better business case. But to me, I don't know, we're, we're just sticking true to our original design theory and we wanted to make gear with materials that were as good as we could afford to make it with. And yeah, we're, that's where we're not really compromising. So it's, it's always a juggle in business, yeah. <laughs> For sure, yeah. But that's what Rob, Rob Biddle was saying that too. If you're really into the sport, you're not that concerned about the price it's more like you want to have the best equipment you can have it's not yeah that's your main concern is the quality of the equipment more than the the cost or the the price of it yeah you know? and there's definitely something that comes with different materials there's a feel there's the way it lasts there's the way it performs there's a whole bunch of things and so for us whether it's boards foils kite wings any of it we're trying to use the best you know, materials we can. And right. it's a really interesting process, especially when you scale up just, and in the current market too, getting hold of materials is, but that's where we got really lucky with our supply chain partners, because even just managing to maintain supply in the current global economy is a really interesting, but challenging thing to do. And to be honest, if it was just me, yeah, it'd be, yeah, it wouldn't be working. So I've got really good partners and that's on the business side. Yeah, that's the key to it is having, you know, the right people doing the right job. I guess right. there's a real psychology in life and I try to, there's some inspir inspiring character. I think Will Smith, he's a great actor, but he's an interesting character. He talks a lot about you've got to employ the people who are really talented at the things they do 
and that's what you need to do for the universe. You, you're, you do what you're good at and you employ people who are good at doing the things they're good at. And in the long run, it all works out better because people are doing their passion and what they're good at. And yep, you've got to spread everything out when you do that. But that's just, I think that's to me how things work. And that's how we've made it work anyway. Great. So what would you say is your job description at Armstrong Foils now? My job description, well, basically I'm the lead product development. And then Rob basically is, is my main like advisor. He's a pretty smart guy and he's been making you know, products in this sort of game. I know you've talked to Rob from the hang gliding days, a lot of wing design knowledge there. And then apart from, I've got I'm the, the passion engine. We're trying to hit us in the right direction. And then we're filling out our team on all the other fronts logistically, because that's my forte is not global logistics at all. And it's still a challenge, but it's been really interesting. And I get involved. We have open meetings and process on that. But we're, to be honest, we're finding our way to a certain extent as well. But we do have Andrew's really in charge of the sales and, and business admin side of it. And then we've got a great inside account management sales team who are really on top of immediate communications. And that it's, yeah, having a global network means you've got to be on top of communications 24 seven. And yeah. With the time differences and stuff, yeah, it's hard to communicate with everybody live. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you've got to, you've got to be able to have a team. It's about it. The whole thing is a, it's a team. It's a team process. And it's, yeah, it's really fun to be a part of. Yeah. Oh, cool. So let's talk a little bit about your the equipment. Let me go back to your uh, web, website here. So we, we just got a shipment at our shop of your new boards. So can you tell us a little cool. bit about these new wing sup boards? Like yeah. The, so the, the four features? geometry wing sup range, I'd spend a lot of time hanging out with the America's Cup sailors. And obviously the America's Cup was on in New Zealand last year. And I was just looking at how those guys set up their geometry of the boats and they put the their main foils in the middle of the boat at the center of gravity. And I'm like, those guys are pretty smart guys. Why do they do that? Like, why is the foil in the center of gravity of the boat? And there are a lot of reasons for that, for basically efficiency of lifting and not leveraging things up. And so we played with it a lot and we decided, in actual fact, we want to give people the option of putting the foil a lot further forward in the board, because then you can have a board that feels like a much smaller board to ride but it has more waterline length to get you up and going because we also want to ride smaller and smaller foils because they're faster and more responsive and so if you move the foil further in the board and your body further in the board you've got the feeling of a smaller board but you got the waterline length to get you going and the waterline length out the back end we got rid of the the cutaway on the back of the board because we just want to maximize the board waterline length to get you up and going as, as early as possible. So everything about the hull shape was about getting up and going with the least energy so that, yeah, people could ride effectively a smaller board and a smaller feeling board. Then we, we did a bunch of other things. We made a really deep cockpit, which does come from a lot from the SUP race board design. There's a drain, which is also the handle both sides. And the reason we recessed the cockpit is that it's, it's got a, quite a nice feeling. There is a slight convex in the middle, and then it goes up to the, the rails. 
And the closer you are to the foil, the more responsive everything is. The board thickness is just like adding a longer mast effectively to your foil. So dropping that recess means it brings you closer to the foil and has a really nice, more direct feel to the foil. But then you need some volume somewhere. So we have these high-sided rails. That's that's the gist of it. And then we got pretty decent nose kick. The nose kick, you know, Mike Murphy's doing some work with us on the weight foil market. And all of those skis from the sit-down guys, they all have massive nose rocker, right? And those guys are landing jumps all the time. And it's just way more forgiving if you've got a bit more nose rocker and a slightly wider nose, which is why we went to the chisel nose so that it's more forgiving for landings. And then yeah, the final thing really with the shaping elements is that wider nose allows you to really straighten all the lines on the board. So the rails and the chines are, are really straight. And that we just felt that helped with the board accelerating off the water surface. Okay. So what size board do you ride mostly? I'm lucky. I have three boards in my van. So <laughs> depends on the day. If the wind's light, I'll ride the 88 liter. I'm 90 kgs. So I'll ride the 88 liter as my light wind board. And I can trog around on that pretty much in no wind um, with a five and a half or a six and a half and get going at the, at the slightest gust because you're already standing. And we do get a lot of shifty light wind days, especially in the summer here. So that's great for testing the bigger gear. And then obviously if I'm supping, I'll use a bigger, I'll use a hundred liter board if I'm supping. So I'm 90 kgs. I'm not, I used to be better at supping. I used to be able to paddle a surf sup was the same volume as my weight, but now I go up 10, 10 liters. So I, I ride the 99 liter board when I'm, when I'm, if I'm supping. But yeah, sorry, that's, four, it's going to be four boards, but the sup doesn't, isn't in the van a lot these days. Mostly it's the wing kit. Then for the and if you if you want a light wind board that you can sup yeah you need to go a few liters over your weight probably and then my all-rounder is the 50 liter the 50 or the 60 i really like the 60 as well but i'm using the 50 at the moment because i've got my starts pretty dialed on that i, I need about 12 knots and i can get going on the 50 liters so yeah that, that photo there that's the 50 liter that was a, a lie that was a classic session actually on maui oh really um yeah, we had a really fun, it was, it was a Ma'alaya break wall, not the main wave of Ma'alaya because the surfers, we sailed over there, but the surfers were all like, go away. And so we're like, yeah, okay, we went back to the break wall and we probably would have got munched anyways. It's pretty but much we, straight um, offshore wind there, right? Yeah, yeah, straight offshore. Yeah, it was a super fun session. And that's the beauty with winging. You can ride offshore, like offshore sessions. I've had such great offshore. So you have to be a little bit careful that your leash is really well set up and you've got a good board leash, a good kite leash. But if there's some good waves, you can really, oh, it's, offshore sessions are so fun with winging. And that's something that we never did with kiting. And even windsurfing dead offshore is tricky. But with the wing, you can just fully depower it and ride straight up wind. But yeah, getting back to the board choices. So then the 50 liter is my all round at the moment. I, I need 12 knots or more. And then if it's proper windy, I like the 34 liter, four five. And that's because it's really nice to jump. It's just a smaller and more nimble in the air but you need proper wind. So if it's 18 knots plus and, and really good wind, then I'll, I'll ride the four or five. Okay. Cool. Uh, talk a little bit about the handle. This is pretty unique that I think you're the only ones making a handle that goes all the way through the board. Yeah. yeah so the idea with that, that was, yes. So having a handle top and bottom was obviously a, a good thing. And to save weight, like traditional handles are, they definitely add weight to a board. 
and we had this really deep recess and I'd played with a lot of race ups with vents in the cockpit and I actually had uh, my race up I should <laughs> dig out the photo for you at some point I made a race up at, for the 2018 uh, Molokai to Oahu um, which was the first foil downwind event on the Molokai and that one had a really deep cockpit and it had vents as well and so I wanted a vent in the deep cockpit board and then it just came together we make the water drain a handle so that goes all the way through so you got your handle top and bottom and for the mm. cockpit and obviously the cockpit drains out the back as well but you just want to make sure that the water completely clears so mm. if you've got such a deep cockpit it, it makes sense to have a vent and and so the handle on the bottom is a little bit further back than on the deck is that correct like it's yeah it's on an angle so the, the handle's on an angle and the reason for that is to help with water evacuation and also reduce the drag on the so the and maybe it's pretty minor, but at the on the bottom, because the handle's on an angle, it's not a square surface hitting the water. It's actually an angled surface at the back of the handle. So right. whether that makes any difference, I don't know. It's a pretty tiny detail. Do you ever get water splashing up out of the board um, when you're like on the surface? Or it's funny, down? even landing really big jumps. If you get a video shot of it, yeah, when you're bouncing the board off, the water comes through there, but. Yeah. You don't notice that I've never, I've landed pretty big jumps on that board and I've never noticed the water splashing up and hitting me in the face or anything. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about your, the wing. Oh, I guess the wing surf. And then I guess these are for winging and surfing then. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the smaller boards are more surf shape and there's something you can paddle in or like I was saying I wing the 34 and our smaller team riders Cash Brazola and Tatiana Grant they'll wing you know the 4.0 27 liter board Sky Rama will surf paddles in the 4.0 and he's a pretty big guy but he's a great surfer and he can obviously surf a 27 liter board I don't surf a board that low volume so if I'm paddling in I'll actually use the 410 um, at 39 liters because I'm not a great surf foiler I'm not a great surfer. I never really grew up surfing. So I need all the help I can get. And the 410's got way more paddle. But yeah, that those photos, that'll be the 4-0 that Mateo and, and Tatiana are on there. Yep. So they've got all the foot strap options. So you can wing them with straps, but they're also really good for surfboarding on too there. And yeah, they're basically a, a good all-round board. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for that little rundown on your boards. And then let's talk about your, the foils. I guess you just released a new foil. Actually, let me, wait, let me pull that up for, you have two new foils that are, are just got released recently. So you want to tell us a little bit about these two new designs? Yeah, so we're just expanding the high aspect foil range. There's actually going to be six foils in that range. So it's pretty exciting to, to fill out the range. And we've done it step by step because every size, different sizes actually need a slightly different detail. I mean, some of those details are pretty important. Geometric or aerodynamic twist has got to be adjusted per size. And so that's a pretty big tuning element and like we got back to changing one thing at a time it takes quite a long time to to tune in those changes and so you have to make one try it a few times compare it to the other one go backwards and forth and then adjust it again and, and trying to get something that has that the ultimate pump and glide and you can turn like those are the big the big elements and so we're really stoked 
with the way out, our bigger foils will turn. We can, you can get on a wave and you can actually throw them around. And ultimately, the HA range is, is a high-performance wing range. But then rippers like Mateo and stuff like his on the 725 in that photo, that, you know, the weight guys, smaller guys waking, they'll be doing crazy things on those because they're just so much faster and you can pump for miles and that sort of stuff. So the, the, the ultimately, though, the range, it's a pretty similar feeling per size and it depends on your body size a lot. So that's why we've got the range. Uh, obviously, once you get down to the smaller foils that we will be releasing very soon, the 525 and the massive one, the 1525, that's all about expanding the range for the different size of riders. So the 525 is going to be more kite foil, really. But the 725, smaller rippers, 925, average size rippers, the 1125, larger rippers, and the 1325 and the 1525 are like your light wind performance foils. Or bigger rippers who want to get out there and, and pump around or downwind or whatever. So when but, you when you downwind uh, foil, what which foil do you use? Which what's I'm foil? mostly on the 1125 at 90 kgs, but I'm okay at keeping it up to speed. I find the 925 is too small for me actually. But if you're a lighter guy, the 1125 is going to be too big. But that's if you're talking, you know, good guys who are, have got some pretty good skill. If you're in really small bumps, though, then I, I use right now I'm using the 1325 if it's small and I'm towing in the downwind. But if it's windy enough to paddle up on a sup, then I can run the 1125 because that's I only go when it's howling. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, downwinding, it's a, downwinding an interesting. Here's a question for you How do you see downwinding? Because it's an interesting one for me. Like I've, I got into it, like we were downwinding the Nepali. 2017, I did the Nepali race downwind on a foil. And then the year later was the 2016, I went to the gorge before anyone had even tried to do a downwind race on a foil. Kai was downwinding, obviously, in Maui and stuff. I, I went, I did the gorge downwind paddle challenge on the foil. It came about mid-fleet because the first half was all good. And then the second half around the island, I lost the foil and paddled with a, you know, a 10-foot board with a foil on it pretty slowly. But yeah, where do you see downwind foiling? I don't know. It's epic fun. And I still do it towing in. I don't do a lot of it paddling in anymore. And I, you do see some of the good guys chipping in um, and doing downwinders in Hawaii. But I don't know. Where, where do you see downwinding going? For me personally, I, I really got into it uh, for a while. Like we were launching off by Portlock China Walls and then just going to either Kahalo or to, to all the way to Waikiki on you know stand-up foiling and kind of we're getting it but then the wings came out and then we just it was like so much easier to use a wing and that's yeah. how we started winging is just going on downwinders instead of a paddle we would take the wing and mm -hmm. then it's just easier to get up on the foil and easier to stay on the foil and uh, yeah so I, I actually stopped doing the downwinders a lot of guys here on Oahu do the the downwind uh, like the chipping in yeah from also a lot of guys go from just like the from Diamond Head to Waikiki or whatever, where if you fall in, then you just have to paddle in and catch another wave. You don't go too far out, out of the swells. And that, yeah, and they use like tiny surf foil boards and and really making it look fun. But I haven't, I haven't really gotten into that myself. And it just, it just seems like a lot of work if you fall in, especially if, if you do a longer run and you start at China Walls, if 
you fall in, then you got like a two hour paddle to get, to get back, you know, pretty much. Yeah. I think some guys are doing that. I don't know. Hey, it's great training if you're a pro athlete. Yeah. So no, it's an inter- it'll be interesting to see how, how it develops. I think. Yeah. Um, what about the downwind sup foiling? Are you seeing a lot of guys doing that still, or is that tapered off a bit? So I, I think same thing. There's just less people doing it since the advent of wing foiling. And there weren't even that many people doing it to start with, just because it's so challenging. But I think with the foils getting more efficient and it being easier to get up on foil, uh, I think maybe it'll change. And I, I should get back into it too, but I just, yeah, when it's windy. It's I just, and it's definitely I just like a great workout. Yeah, I need to get into it too after yeah. <laughs> too much lockdown, too much lockdown cake. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> But what I'm excited about is just wing foiling and, and riding waves on the wing foil board too. And just like doing those long carving turns and stuff like to me, that's super fun and jumping. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing with winging. It's taken over because like you say, it's so easy to get in and out mm. and you just get so much foil time. It's mm. maximum bang for buck. And yeah, it has, it's 80%, 80% of what, i do now is on a wing for sure because and it's just the user friendliness of wings i mean kiting i've kiting always has required a lot of beach space to set up and kiting is still a great sport in the right conditions like howling onshore kiting is still epic but i don't know you just can get out with the wing and it's so user-friendly in locations where you just can't go with traditional kiting or, or even windsurfing gear and dead offshores. And, and it's got more bottom end than windsurfing. Windsurfing is great when it's also howling, but in lighter wind, you can get going with the foil in the wing and really be tapping into waves that no one's riding. Yeah, that's true. Like we can foil, wing foil in much lighter conditions. Our windsurfers could go out too, but they're not barely moving. They, it takes them forever to get back out to catch the next wave. Yeah. And we're just like flying back and forth. So let's talk a little bit about the wings, um, like your wing development and stuff like that. So can you talk a little bit about what, what the V1 and the changes you made to the V2 and so on? Yeah, sure. So basically... V1, I just wanted maximum power out of the wing. And so we really went for large diameter leading edge and a really deep section, which does give you a lot of bottom end power. And that rigidity that you get from the larger diameter tubes really helps with the bottom end juice of the wing. And to me, I really like riding the 1050, the 850, the 925 and now the 72 with the wing. And so you need that bottom end juice to get going on a smaller board out of the hole. So that's really what informed the main shape parameters of the wing, which really is, is large tubes. And then we've got a tight leech, a really tight leech, which means we have to keep that large diameter going quite close to the tips because that gives that sail that real grunt, that real grunt, low end grunty feeling. And there's two sides to that. One is, you know, just that simple low-end grunt to get you out of the hole on the smaller bottom foil. But it also means you can ride a half size or even a, a size down from most other wings. I ride the 4.5 with 
when most people are riding a five or a five and a half or even a six sometimes. And the five, our five and a half is, is a grunty wing. That's like a six or a six and a half for most other guys. But it has a slightly more compact span for that size because it's got the really deep profile. So there's a plus and minus with every design choice you make. But that deep profile really gives them a lot of bottom end and that's the I guess the biggest thing that people don't quite realize with our wings is that you need to ride at least half a meter down on what you'd think so if you're thinking of five that's our four and a half if you're thinking six that's our five and a half really and the three and a half we use that quite a lot down to 18 knots yeah and that's more, it's more really the grunt of a four yeah I mean that's um, what so another thing we did is we extended our range we got the two and a half and the six and a half and the V2s, we improved the handles. The, the profile is not quite as deep. So we changed the profile. It's not quite as deep as the V1. So it has a bit more top end and it, it floats a bit, bit more nicely. And we've beefed up all the reinforcements basically on the V2. There's, there's a, the beefed up leash. You've got a photo on the screen right now there. We've got an extra bit of webbing that ties right back to the strut because I was in the surf and you know ripped the leading edge out of a couple of wings um getting ragdolled on the surf hey really is if you get ragdolled on the surf something might break that's just life we're trying to trying to beef up these things the handles are all way gruntier and stiffer on the v2s yeah that's those are the main things yeah if i can make a comment like for this seam right here underneath the handle i had a little cut on my finger and it kept scratching like when i got backwinded or or like pumping or whatever i would always get scratched by the seam it's kind of a sharp oh. seam right there so okay. maybe you should move well, that somewhere else <laughs> yeah no we could for another but what i've found with those because our handles are rigid and they're off the wing yeah i find i don't hit the strut with my hand and that's the our we spent a lot of time those handles i spent a ton of time on those handles and yeah there are some other wing guys out there doing a very similar handle now basically pulled apart what we were doing and, and, and did a similar thing because that stiffer handle with a slightly bigger arc, to me, puts your hand, and, and we've got, so the front handles, a little detail that you might not realize, our front handles have a bigger arc, and the rear handles have a slightly smaller arc, and mm. that's to help give the wing a little bit more angle of attack in your mm. hands, so you're not, it balances out your arm length, you don't have to pull in with your back arm so much, and, and I found that didn't, that put my hands off the strut so they weren't hitting the strut but yeah for sure for some yeah. seams if you're if you hit your fingers on a seam then yeah it might graze your fingers yeah but one, one thing that like you mentioned that the your the frame is really stiff so that's something i really like about the a-wing is that it's one of the things i really don't like about some wings that bend right in the middle right here where the strut connects to the mm. um, leading edge when, when yeah, it's and, not thick enough right there, it just tends to like, when you, when you hit a gust, the whole wing just kind of twists, you know. Yeah, and there's two things there. What you can see with that picture you've got up right now, there, there isn't a ton of dihedral in the middle. And that's because the, our whole wing is designed to actually, when it loads up, it, you get a bit more dihedral in there naturally. And all of the panels are all cut and shaped so that when it's loaded, the airframe is really good. And what you'll find is a lot of wings, when they load up, they fold in the middle and you get a lot of creases in the canopy. So our canopy is all set up so that when it's loaded and it, it takes basically around about 80 kgs of load pulling someone out of the water, that's when the canopy is actually set to its perfect shape. 
And that's where you get that real pull and drive when it's when you've got it going with yeah. some load in it. When it's completely unloaded, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have that same perfect shape. So it is it's a balance, and that's we're really trying to. Uh, but two things: I'm 90 kgs, and I like a lot of grunt out of the hole to get going, and I like to jump. So I want something when you jump, when you pull on it, when you're coming down from a jump, it it really holds you, and you can land your jumps. Right. A lot of other wings I find don't have a lot of pop. And when you're coming down, they just bend and you, you haven't got anything. And you just crash into the water pretty hard. So yeah, 100% agree with that. Yeah, I find that too. Trying to get some, trying to get some grunt into it. And, yeah. and hey, yeah. there's a beauty with the, the inflatable that you can go a large diameter. And a lot of that was informed from big, big kite design. So yeah, that's, we're really trying to get going in on smaller boards with smaller fours, but also I like going out in strong wind. So I really like how our, the three and a half and the four and a half and the two and a half as well, when it's howling, perform when it's really windy, because the thing just feels, they really come alive our wings when it's, when you've got good wind. And there may be, some lighter wings out there that are better in really light wind conditions, but I prefer to have some juice when it's windy. Okay, cool. We're going pretty long now, but I, I did want to ask you this um, question that I always ask everyone is, especially during the pandemic, like you were shut down, uh, you said for the last two months and couldn't get on the water. So when you're having a, a rough day, what do you do to stay positive or keep your um, mind in the right place? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky one. If I'm not getting in the water, I do go slightly crazy. Luckily, I've got an awesome lady at the moment and a young nipper who's three. So that definitely keeps me engaged. Nice. So yeah, it's, I guess it's family time now. I've, I've grown up. I've definitely had some times earlier on where I was a little bit more crazy. And, and probably as a typical New Zealander, we used to drink too much for sure. But nah, nowadays, I'm, I'm off all out. We don't, I don't drink at all. And we're yeah, family time, really, for me is it and yeah going for a nice hike outside somewhere on to the top of a mount among a top of a mountain that's that's a great thing to do with the family and for and sure. we'll, we'll go to the beach for sunset have a picnic on the beach somewhere that's great as well at least we, we could still do that during the lockdown at least as you just have to stay away from everyone else <laughs> so you couldn't uh, go water but you could go on the beach and you can go yeah you could go to the beach as long as it was within something like a 5k radius of, of where you live something like that Okay. If you didn't live near a beach, well, then, yeah, bad luck. <laughs> it's, it's funny because here in Hawaii, it was the opposite during our shutdown in the beginning. You were not allowed to go on the beach, but you were allowed to go across the beach to go into the water, and you're allowed to go in the water, which I guess oh, kind of really? makes sense. But um, <laughs> I guess it's because our governor is a surfer, too, so probably that's why they, they, kept, <laughs> they allowed, allowed us to go in the water still. Which, we got it. We got to get our prime minister wing foiling. There you go. That's yeah. our mission for the summer. Yeah. I don't know how the, all the rules work. There's some pretty conflicting ones and it's different everywhere. I don't know. Everyone has their own take on it. I don't know any answers. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You, so you mentioned you totally stopped drinking alcohol. No more. You're like totally yeah. drinking no alcohol. Yep. That's right. So, that's right. Actually, the Leo Kinemaka got me inspired. He's a inspirational waterman on Hawaii and we, were there in 2018, I think, with Brian Finch on Oahu doing a bit of a photo shoot when we released the CF 1200. 
and we were there. Laleo Kinemaka was trying the foils, and, and he's just such an inspirational character. He, he's a, a top go-foil rider, but more than that, he's just a top legendary all-round waterman, really. And yeah, he was telling me how he's he's really, I think he was 20-something plus years, just totally, you know, sober and, and on it. And he's such an inspiration. I don't know quite how old he is. He wears his age very well, but he's, he's you know, way, he was, you know, I don't know how old, but quite a bit older than me and, and ripping way harder. And I'm like, okay, yep, time to... <laughs> Time to clean up. Time to get real. So that was kind of that was cool. I, I, you know, really thankful to him for some inspiration there for sure. So would you say that foiling is like an addiction a little bit, like like a drug, or or would you <laughs> definitely? Would you... But a good addiction because it gets you outside. It's healthy. It's good for fitness. Might not be great for your bank balance, but hey, you can't take that stuff with you, and it is for using and really. It's just such a beautiful sensation flying across the water. And it, it is addicting, but it's addicting for all the right reasons. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Do you, like, when you get up in the morning, do you have a certain routine, certain things that you do? Or are <laughs> at the you moment, yeah, change, you know, changing nappies or getting the nipper ready for the day. And then usually, unfortunately, these days, it's checking a bunch of emails. It takes a couple of hours, which isn't great. And then I usually try and throw some stretches in there in between. And then you look at the wind and try and get out, do some testing, or it depends what's going on. Some days it can be just sitting on the computer all day long these days, which isn't ideal, but that's the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. No any running a business. Luckily today, though, there's some breeze yeah. and I got a foil to test. Brand new one. Oh, yeah. So that's yeah. exciting. <laughs> so you can go on the water right from your backyard there, huh? Is it like yeah, maybe. I don't know if the internet will stay on. I'll drag this thing over here yeah. and have a look. See if you can see. Yeah. So and you're, in. beautiful. Yep. And this There's is right in, in Auckland. You're in Auckland. In Auckland. Auckland City. So yeah, super lucky. This was a property actually my parents bought in the 70s. So yeah, pretty lucky yeah. to be able to hang out here and yeah, be able to get out, go sailing, go winging. Do you have and your own sailboat or do you go, go sailing as well? Yeah. Yeah. We still do a little bit of sailing out of here. Um, got a trimaran that my grandfather built. That's just moored out here. And yeah, we can't complain. Life mm -hmm. is definitely good when we're allowed to get on the water. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope we don't get locked down again. I think we're going to be okay now, but I don't know. It's yeah. Who knows? I'm not going to predict anything on that. Like for me, uh, Sometimes I have a really good session and everything like clicks and everything's working perfectly well. And then another time I'll just get mm. frustrated and I keep falling in or I, I just make stupid mistakes and stuff like that. And I just not, it doesn't, I don't get into that zone. So is, does that happen to you? And do you have any tricks for changing from like going from not being in the zone to getting into that um, mm. where everything works? Yeah, some days you just have a bad biorhythm day, but generally I find I try and do a like a, I do a little bit of yoga. So I just do a quick version of a salute to the sun just to warm up and just turn 50. So I find that really helps doing some stretches before my session as just loosen up. And then sometimes if it's really windy, I, I like getting hyped up with a bit of music, 
But yeah, generally, if you're having a bad session, yeah, it's good just to sit, just stop, sit down, take a few deep breaths, have a think about it, and then just reset. But yeah, there's no magic. Some days you just have a bad day and there's not too much you can do about it. Yeah, I find the mental part is pretty important. Like what's going on, like your mental self-talk. And I think especially in, in a race like the Molokai race where you're like out on the open ocean for a super long time. And if you start having negative thoughts or negative self-talk, it's like everything just goes down the drain. So do you have anything to share, like anything like that to share about that? Yeah, and that, the bringing up those events, those long downwind sup events. And I guess that's the real draw to them. It was great such great men challenge it's a great mental challenge those events and they really because they're four to five hours six hours long depending on you know the situation you're in you're out in the ocean pretty much by yourself and it's this, i guess it's the same as sailing for a long ocean passage too as a there's a real mental discipline and a process and you've just got to carry on and like you say you can't let yourself get into a, a, a downward spiral of thought but to me, it's really easy because you just look out at the horizon and see the clouds and the ocean, and it's just so beautiful. Like all the art that I've got around is, is always has sky and water in it. You know, I mean, you just that's that is art to me. You just look at the ocean and you're just like, wow, it's just so beautiful. And usually, when you're out for a session, and that that's the big one of the biggest buzzes for me is just being out and looking back at the land and the waves crashing in the ocean, and just it's so beautiful. That's um just feel really lucky to be able to experience that regularly because it is, it's mind blowing how beautiful that transition between the ocean and the land is. It's just such a great place to be able to spend time. Yeah. So, no, I think that's definitely one of the things that attracts me to just being out in the water, just the, the visual of the colors and the intensity mm -hmm. of the, this, everything, like the, everything around you is just like bright and, energizing somehow yeah especially in hawaii so you guys are pretty lucky <laughs> definitely definitely lucky would you have any tips for beginners getting into wing foiling what what do you reckon if you're teaching someone how to wing foil getting them into what do you recommend yeah i guess there's two things you, you want to spend a bit of time just on the beach with the wing um getting really used to changing the, your hand positions just get, it's super easy to do i need to spend half an hour a couple of half hour sessions but actually spend some time Turning, going one tack to the other, front handle, getting your hand movements, figuring out where the handles are on your particular wing you're going to use because that'll make a big difference. And then you really want to tow behind a boat or a ski or something, if you can, with the foiler on. So you do the two things separately and then put them together. During the lockdowns, we did quite a bit of wing skating, which is actually really good for practicing your tacks and your jibes once you're a little bit better. But you, you do, you can wear through your wings pretty easily if you crash on the concrete with them. I've bought, I've bought one doing that, crashing on the skateboard. But yeah, just put the two skills together separately. And then when you're learning, you have to get on a big board. The bigger, the better almost, so that it's super stable. Just get the feeling of sailing around. If you've done a ton of windsurfing or kiting, then yeah, you could or you could probably start on a smaller board. But really, just get going on the biggest board you can, which may mean taking a lesson of someone who's got the right gear. Yeah, that's always one of those conundrums for new people. Is you really should get a big board, but they want to get that second or third board that they want to buy. They think they're gonna need in in six months, which. But it's just hard to start on a, an advanced Yeah, that's board. but you're going to end up using the big board on the light wind days anyway. Like yeah. I still use the 100 liter board pretty regularly on the light wind days. So yeah. 
Plus, you can stand up surf on it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. If you're into doing some stand up, then you, you got that. So that'd be a good place to start as a board that you could stand up paddle on if you're into that. And then you could get going on that board and, and use it as your sup. Or hey, just take lessons. It's that's always even though winging it's, it's definitely safer than kiting. You just progress faster when someone's actually with you, looking at what you're doing and giving you some direct feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I always, always, I always think sport, it's an investment well worth well yeah. worth doing. I always think it's crazy that people spend like thousands of dollars on their equipment, but then they're too cheap to spend like $200 on a lesson. What? <laughs> and where you probably get better results from taking a lesson than buying another wing or something like that. Yeah. And but, hey, you, it's only the first bit. And once you're over that first bit, You've got those basic skills and you're away and you'll just right. you'll definitely progress faster through that stage plus it's simpler on your gear too because you're using someone else's gear in that stage when a you're more likely to break gear b you're you're needing that really big kit and then you can you know transition from there yeah true all right thanks so much for um sharing your time I, I guess you want to get out on the water probably soon or have to answer some more emails and stuff like that. But is there any, <laughs> anything else you want to share or talk about? Actually, sorry, one more question. Do you have any new moves you're working on? Uh, wing foiling, like what, <laughs> anything that you're struggling with or trying to figure out? Just clean tacks both ways. Obviously, heel side to toe side and, and toe side to heel side. It's a different kind of technique and yeah. switching feet Tricky. and um, getting that really clean. In terms of, I, I really like getting on waves. I'm more about just trying to get some nice turns on, on a proper wave, getting in the pocket, getting some nice turns. I do hitting kickers and, and jumping. I'm not really full freestyle guy, but yeah, hey, I might get there. I have tried a few inversions. Every time I usually ride off the wing, put the foil straight through it. So that usually ends up in a long swim. I think I'll leave that for the younger guys for now, but you never know. If, if I get more time, I mean, like for me, I guess I'm spending so much time testing gear. Yeah. So is it, I, I just want to ride waves. Do you, like when you get on the water, do you see it more as your job or more as a fun thing to do or both? It's, it's still a fun thing to do, but it's definitely a job as well because changing things one, one thing at a time, it's, there's a lot to think about and, and you've got to go through the process methodically, which it does. And you're often maybe not even in the right in the location you might go to if you were just having a session for yourself or on the gear you might be on but you it's just you have to go through each step with each bit of gear yeah and i, I still love it i still love being on the water but it's still a job too it's just you've got to go through all those iterations to to understand it but there hey we had a session on saturday where yeah i just knew it was real super windy i'm here howling onshore storm and I didn't have anything particular we had to test that day. I was waiting for some stuff to arrive. And so we just went for a fun session and it was great and just stayed on some, just the 1050, which has, you know, been out for ages, but it was just a really windy session with some fun waves and we just had a blast. Yeah, no, I can totally relate to that because I, a lot of times testing stuff or filming and videoing and stuff like that, but then Sometimes it's nice to go out on equipment that you know exactly how it works and no cameras and just having yeah, fun, right. the best sessions, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although it's still, I mean, all of it's fun. I mean, it's, and, and yeah. that's the beauty of, of, that's why we do what we do. It's, it's what we love. And yeah, really lucky to be able to do the thing, you know, that I love, which is yeah. get out yeah. in the water um, on a foil and that we can turn it into something that, 
hopefully a ton of other people can love doing. And yeah. that's the goal. And yeah, carry I, on. I was actually asked the question if I ever feel guilty about spending too much time in the water, but I like, I don't feel guilty at all because it's like part of my job and, and it's what I love to do. So what about you? Yeah. Do you ever feel guilty that you spend too much time uh, playing? Not. <laughs> Good. What about your wife? Does she get upset or your partner? No, she's pretty, she's awesome. She's awesome. And we have great family support. And but yeah, there's, you've definitely got to spend time. I, I have definitely have days where I'm looking after the nipper if she's working and, and not taking sessions. So there's a balance in life like everyone has. You've got to balance. So your yeah. three-year-old, does it uh, sleep through the night or do you, who, who gets up in the middle of the night? If, if Yeah, we crying. share it. She's pretty good. She's pretty good. We're, we have a, a one room house. So she's, she'll come and just climb into bed. And everyone just goes, goes, stays asleep, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. I'll have to do this again maybe in a year or so when you have some new stuff coming out. I'll, I'll yeah. Let's see. Let's see. be a really day. interesting year to see how, where everything goes. There's so much cool development going on right now. It's a really exciting time in the sport. Yeah. We've got new things coming. We're working on all the time. And I'm really excited actually about the, the, the wake projects with Mike Murphy at the moment. We've got some new gear. We're going to be putting out an association with him pretty soon. And it's like full circle, like Mike's such a legend and he's not really involved in the wing, the wing um, foiling thing, mm -hmm. but he is the godfather of the sport. He came up with the front wing, rear wing, T-foil and... He's just such a wealth of knowledge and his, all his experience comes from just actually doing it because he was such a ripper in himself and he set up those foils for all those guys on Maui and Hawaii back in the day. Yeah. Now, Rush Randall's to this day, has la he landed three back rolls in a row on a big outer, outer reef wave and carried on surfing the wave like we're not even seeing guys doing that yet. And sure, he had boots and all of that, but that was on a Mike Murphy foil. So... Mike's got some understanding. Like the biggest thing, like we did a trip to Lake Powell recently. Um, we might, we, there should be some photos in the upcoming foil mag actually for that one where we had the sit-down guys and then our top of stand-up riders all riding together and, and cross-pollinating ideas. And it was epic to see the sit-down guys, their understanding of the foils when they're exiting the water and entering the water is just next level, you know? Like those guys were doing double back rolls and landing fully clean on the foil with the sit down foils and and that's it's a different kind of foil to do that sort of thing and so those guys they're, they're all about being towed behind the boat and hucking big air but what you learn from that different whole different aspect of, of the way a foil can function it's just yeah it's gonna inform a lot of other types of foiling in the future and it's pretty cool that your mic's still there and he's probably 73 or something now but he's when he can still take air on a foil behind a boat so yeah i actually learned a lot watching some of those videos of them like how they before they jump they come up really high and then hit the water and then boost super high like with yeah angle of the that, that but that jump they get a lot of that to, is to do with the foils that they're using too and it's a very different shape of foil the different section everything about it is it's all about angle of attack and when you point it up it, it goes up that thing and they also they're a lot cleaner coming back into the water as well but there's the challenge with that is they don't that kind of foil has no pump right so 
it's a real different sort of element, but it's interesting getting on, like we just got on some of the, those sit down foils, which is a version of what Leb was writing in that video you played at the start of this interview. Super thin, really flat section on that foil. And look what Leb was doing 20 years ago on those foils. Those Leb and Dave Kalama and Robbie and Pete and Rush Randall and all those guys towing in at Jaws and ripping waves that only people like Kai and those same guys are doing today yeah. on those old foils. So there's something in that when you've got a ton of energy. So yeah, it's just super exciting times, the, the whole thing. Right. Yeah, it seems like definitely to me, like foiling is just seems to be the future of water sports just because it's so smooth and efficient and kind of, it can be very low impact too. You don't like, you're not like hitting the waves. It's, it's just smooth and, and yeah. fast exhilarating so i think we got a long way to go and yeah thanks for nice. thanks for um pushing the sport forward and thank you for your time and having being so open and honest with all your ideas and comments and questions man it's a cool forum that you've got going on do all right thanks thanks army have a great thanks, day everyone hope you have a great day get out on the yep. water and have fun <laughs> all right you're still here thank you so much for watching to the very end you're the ones I'm making this show for, the 5% of the people that watch all the way to the end that can't, just can't get enough information about wing foiling. You're as into it as I am, so I really appreciate you sticking around. I'm actually on my way to go wing foiling right now, so I'm going to make it quick, but thanks so much. I hope you're getting out in the water as well, and I know especially the ones down under in New Zealand, Australia, your summer is just starting. I know for those of you in the US probably it's getting a little bit cold now and in Europe and so on but I hope you're still getting out having fun and at least staying stoked if, you, if it's too cold to go in the water so thanks for watching and see you next time Aloha